And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. Jimmy Carter, at the age of 98, is America's oldest former president. Last week, the Carter family announced that Mr. Carter had entered hospice at his home in Plains, Georgia. Joining me now with an appreciation of President Carter, Dr. James Zogby, the founder and president of the American, the Arab American Institute. Dr. Zogby, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. So you wrote a wonderful piece in The Nation in which you said uh, that Jimmy Carter is our greatest former president. Uh, mm-hmm. make, make that case for us. Well, let me say first that I think he was much maligned as a president. I think his record is far better than the record that was uh, uh, th- that it was portrayed to be by uh, the Reagan supporters and Republicans in general who wanted to cast him as a failed president. Uh, he was not. The crises that he confronted were not of his making and were beyond uh, America's ability uh, to solve. He didn't create the Iran crisis. And frankly, a, a more aggressive stance toward Iran would have made the situation worse. He also didn't create the inflation. I mean, remember, we were coming out of Vietnam. We had to deal with an, uh, an oil embargo. Uh, and we had to deal with the huge debt that we'd accumulated in previous years um, uh, as a result, largely of war that was unfunded. But anyway, in his former president years, unlike in his in his post president presidency, unlike uh, uh, so many others who either capitalized on their fame with big speaking fees or uh, went into obscurity just playing golf and, uh, you know, just enjoying themselves on the ranch, he um, initially identified himself with Habitat for Humanity. And during his time there, spending a week a year, at least even until his late 70s, people, I think, remember him more uh, from that age uh, in denim with a hammer in his hand than a suit in the Oval Office. He he became a, a volunteer and helped the organization raise money, get volunteers. Um, and it was, I think, largely due to Carter's involvement. He then, just two years out of the presidency, created the Carter Center, which has had a lasting uh, impact in countries across the world, both in terms of monitoring elections, uh, dealing with disease, uh, in many instances, curing, helping to cure diseases that had plagued parts of Africa uh, for, for centuries, and also providing agricultural expertise that improved the lives of literally uh, millions of people. Uh, that kind of legacy, uh, coupled with the humility uh, that he brought both to his presidency and also to his post-presidential years, um, make him someone who I think taught us a lot, taught us a lot, a lot about how to live uh, for others, but also um, how to die with grace and dignity. And he's he's showing us now that this is uh, a person who whose life deserves to be emulated, and that's why I call him our greatest former president. Dr. James Zogby is the co-founder of the Arab American Institute. We're talking about the historical significance and legacy of President Jimmy Carter, who is in hospice at his home in Plains, Georgia, at the age of 98. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you want to join our conversation and share your recollections and your uh, understanding of the importance of the Carter presidency and of Mr. Carter uh, and the way he has uh, handled himself since leaving office uh, low those many years ago, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wypr.org, and you can tweet us at midday. 
WIPR. And I think, um, uh, Dr. Zogby, one of you, know, the, you, you mentioned the, the, the humility of Jimmy Carter. Uh-huh. Um, when he was involved with Habitat, he was actually, he did have the hammer in his hand and he was using it. I mean, he was not doing this as a figurehead. Um, right. He and his wife, Rosalind, both. Uh, Rosalind uh, was, was out there working with him. He was on a roof nailing <laughs> shingles. Um, I, my, my uh, son's father-in-law uh, is a builder in Lynchburg. Um, and when we honored President Carter uh, and Habitat, we asked uh, him to, uh, to make the presentation. Tom Gertie is his name. And his recollections of Carter being out there uh, doing the work um, uh, are, you know, it's, it's something to, to think about. I mean, can one imagine Ronald Reagan doing that? Can one imagine... George W. doing that. Bill Clinton had the Clinton Foundation. Certainly did great work, but but hung with the the the, the millionaires of the world to to raise money for great projects. But Jimmy Carter actually put denim on, got, got up on roofs of houses, went to disaster areas, uh, and and actually did the the work. And that's something about him. I think it, almost from the beginning of his his public life. I mean, one remembers. Jimmy Carter getting off the plane uh, as president, carrying his own suitcases. Um, remember, I remember my wife and I were in the audience uh, when the Pope came uh, in, I think it was 78, to the White House. And the wind was blowing and the, the Pope's cape kept blowing up over his head. And president Carter walked up to him and brought it back down and then stood there the entire rest of the Pope's speech, holding the Pope's cape down. Um, I was on a panel. He and I were speaking at a conference at the Carter Center uh, to Christian clergy from the Holy Land, and I my flight was delayed, and I um, uh, called in and said, I'm going to be late. They said, oh, we may have to start without you, and they did. I walked in the room. Carter was speaking. He saw me in the back of the room. He said, oh, good. Jim Zogby's gotten here. Let's wait uh, until he gets up on stage and collects himself. And then we'll start again. That, that is something I can't imagine any other former president doing um, for anybody. Uh, I, that it happened to me was quite moving. But that, that sense of I'm not the most important person here. Um, I want to be uh, a person among you was something that characterized him in a way that I'd not seen in, in other people in leadership roles. And perhaps I wonder if his humility uh, was uh, the sort of fundamental uh, ingredient that uh, led to uh, what many consider his greatest success as president, and that's the Camp David Accords. Uh, mm-hmm. He brought Anwar Sadat, the president of Egypt, and Menachem Begin, the prime minister of Israel, mm-hmm. to Camp David. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was not a photo op kind of thing. They stood there or they stayed there for nearly 14 days to, to hammer out an agreement. Um, talk about the significance of that particular decision, because uh, it was risky, wasn't it? It was risky, and he put a lot of himself into it. And I would say that uh, uh, he also was deeply disappointed, uh, disappointed that the settlement freeze that Begin had agreed to, he didn't honor. The, the sense he got coming out of Camp David that greater rights would be guaranteed to Palestinians uh, and that it would be an evolving process that would lead to Palestinians having independence. Uh, but that never happened. 
And um, in times I spoke with him after uh, his presidency, that was a, a constant regret he had that he hadn't been able to do more. He actually wrote me a letter. I wrote him a letter after he lost saying how disappointed I was uh, that he had that he had lost. And he wrote me back a letter uh, that I was surprised to receive because I didn't know him at the time. Um, and it was a two-page letter um, that said, thank you for your telling me of your disappointment. I'm disappointed too because I've wanted so much to end my presidency with Palestinians and Israelis having a just peace. And the fact that it wasn't able to happen, he was he was deeply disappointed in that and felt betrayed. You, you mentioned in your article in The Nation uh, that during the Camp David Accords, you hired a, a plane to fly around. <laughs> um, tell us about that. And and, 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 a, and and you told President Carter uh, that you had done that. He, wasn't, he didn't realize where that plane came from. It was a funny story in many ways because I wanted to have, you know, those like skywriters you see with the smoke with the smoke trails leaving messages in the sky. I thought it'd be cool to fly somebody over Camp David with a smoke message saying Palestinians. Uh, people would remember them. Uh, I called the only guy on the whole East Coast who did that kind of skywriting. When I got him on the phone, he said, uh, I know what you want. He said, I'm not going to do it. Uh, he said, I'm the only skywriter on the whole East Coast. I said, yeah, I know. That's why I called you. He said, I'm the only Jewish skywriter in, in the whole world, he said, and I'm not in favor of what you want me to do. So he didn't uh, He didn't do it. So I found this lady in West Virginia who flew a billboard with lit messages behind it uh, and was able to do it at night. She carefully studied the the perimeter, so she never crossed into the security perimeter. But her message was seen, and it just said, Palestinians, the key to peace. And it was carried on the TV networks that night, and uh, people didn't know where it had come from. Uh, I ended up getting a, mess a, a meeting with the, the Secret Service came to see me to talk about it, but everything was, was, was fine. It was, you know, we kept within the security uh, restricted areas, and so it was, it was fine. Years later, I sat down with him. And I told him about that, and he said, oh, you're the one who did it. I wondered who had done that. It was, and then he said to me that it was a, um, a, a message that was an important one that, that he appreciated. So yeah. that made me feel good yeah, that course, he remembered it. Sure, and, and a big part of his strategy during the Camp David Accords was to have the press uh, not involved on a daily basis. There was obviously mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a conversation with the press after an agreement had been reached, um, but, but he wanted to make sure that the press uh, and that, that, that uh, President Sadat and Prime Minister Begin weren't saying things uh, in public that, mm -hmm. that, that they needed to say for domestic consumption or for whatever reason that would, uh, w would, would impede the conversations that were going Going on uh, in the cabinet. So I guess what I did was I walked in the middle of that situation and gave press something to report on. <laughs> <laughs> right. And of course, <laughs> since they had nothing else, I'm sure they were quite happy about <laughs> right. that. Let's get that plane. <laughs> we have a couple she of calls. She was funny. The woman from West Virginia was just hilarious when I called her. And she was, you know, she said, I love to do it. And she just was real excited about it. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. We have a couple of callers. Let's start with Dwayne on the line from Curtis Bay. Dwayne, welcome to Midday with James Zogby. Yeah, I'm glad you're having this subject. It's sort of sad, but at least uh, since it was announced that he was in hospice care, 
my connections with Jimmy Carter go way back. I, I've always been interested in history and politics and taught 25 years at City College. But I recall that it was the last competitive Democratic primary that we had in Maryland in 1976. I was more a supporter of Governor Jerry Brown than of California. But after that primary, I learned a little bit more about Jimmy Carter and then volunteered in his campaign. And I saw the article in the op-ed page of the Baltimore Sun the other day because I got a chance to go to Sandtown, Winchester in the 90s when he was here for that weekend. And that was an event I will never forget for the rest of my life, getting a chance to see him nearby, shake his hand and talk to him briefly. Uh, years later, I even got a chance to go to, uh, earlier, I got a chance to go to his inauguration. It was the last one held on the, uh, east front of the Capitol. And a number of years later, got a chance to stop in Plains, Georgia, went 200 miles out of my way so I could spend, uh, two days down there to see what the area was like. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. You're going to be hearing a lot of things about Jimmy Carter, and all of them are true. He was a great, wonderful man, and it's an incredible president that we had. All right. Well, thank you for that uh, comment and perspective. I appreciate it. Um, Let's see if we could get Dr. Abdullah on the line as well from Baltimore. Welcome to the show with James Zogby. Uh, Welcome. Thank you, um, Brother Hall, for taking the call, and um, the doctor as well, your guest. I just wanted to share that I had the distinct pleasure of meeting uh, ex-president Jimmy Carter down in Atlanta. Uh, I was then uh, a street vendor, a friend of mine from who served in Vietnam, and uh, we were packing up for the day, and he came to an event at the Hyatt, downtown Petrie Street, Atlanta. And um, we saw these secret agents came around us, and soon thereafter, a limousine pulled up. He came out of the vehicle, and he came right up and shook my hand, uh, and then went over and shook my friend Ascari, our late friend Ascari, his hand as well. I find him to be very humble, personable, and as one that um, certainly we would, would certainly miss at his um, uh, uh, end of his life. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's something that touched me as one of the first and only presidents I ever had a chance to meet. And now mm-hmm. in my age, 67 years of age, I found him to be very down to earth with the Habitat for Humanity project. And it's somebody that made a mark on this country, I can attest. Yeah, well, thank That's you, wonderful. Dr. Abdul. Thank I appreciate you. it. And Dr. Zogby, um, where do you think uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, legacy within the Democratic Party and the political process of the United States is? I mean, I've read that uh, he was somewhat disappointed that some presidents, uh, President Obama, uh, President Bush, others, you know, did not, uh, t- did not consult him uh, in areas that he thought perhaps he could have been they didn't. helpful. I know, and I think that, the, that it was fundamentally a mistake. Look, I, it, there is a, you know, the... There's a concern, I think, that that the Democratic establishment had that Jimmy Carter won Iowa. And they've had Iowa in their crosshairs ever since because insurgents um, always win in Iowa. Gary Hart won in Iowa. uh, uh, What's his name? Uh, um, uh, Bernie Sanders uh, won in Iowa. Pete Buttigieg tied him there. Jesse Jackson did well in Iowa. Obama won Iowa. These were these were things that rankled them because they wanted to have control over that process. 
and insurgents, because Iowa is a rural state that um, that appreciates that kind of direct, I get to talk to you, look you in the eye and get the measure of your humanity. Uh, they see that and they saw that in Jimmy Carter. And I think that while that was enough for me, and I think, you know, it would be a lesson for Democrats to learn. I'm a Democrat. I'm on the Democratic National Committee. I'd like our politicians to be more in touch with grassroots uh, working class folks. Jimmy Carter knew how to do that. And I think that the party has to some extent gotten away from that, except that Joe Biden, uh, I think, is 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 actually that kind of guy, which is one of the reasons why I think he was successful was that he's, you know, he's Joe from Scranton and uh, and people like that. But I'm surprised that they never consulted with him about his approach to politics, which I think was the most important contribution that he made. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, the crises that he served, that he that he faced were not of his making and were beyond his ability to solve. But it was the way he carried himself that yeah. I think is the lesson. Uh, I just have one quote I want to give you right as I Real close. quick, we are almost out of yes. time. Uh -huh. It's something he said in 2019 uh, when speaking to his church. He said, I didn't ask God to let me live, but I asked God to give me a proper attitude toward death. And I find and that will. I'm completely at ease with death now. And that, to me, is the, the well, sense of who We certainly is. wish him uh, and his family the best at this difficult time. James Ogby, the co-founder of the Arab American Institute. Thanks so much. By the way, looking ahead to Wednesday, I'll share some reporting I did in a recent trip to Israel. We'll talk more tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This is your public radio. 88.1 WYPR.